0: what's up cash flow contractors we have a wonderful episode today with mrs ruth king she is just as passionate as martin about books and making better financial decisions in your business i really took the sidelines on this episode just kind of listened to them go back and forth but we cover a lot of really cool things uh, that are just really a different perspective and really clear ways of thinking about finances inside of your business and reading the financial statements that you have. She's got links to great tools that will allow you to make better decisions and find information much quicker in your, in your finances, but also in training people on your staff to then use your books better and have your books better prepared for you. So really great episode. I I hope you enjoy it. We've got links in the show notes for everything around Ruth King, but we also want you to subscribe. If you're not, don't miss out. If you're just listening to this podcast, and you're not really following us on social, if you're not getting our newsletter, subscribe. And if you know anybody that should be listening to this episode, they don't know about their finances that well, they're having stress financially with cash flow. this is a great episode to send to them. So check out the episode, subscribe. We've got a link in the show notes that you can get our newsletter. We'd love to have you a part of our audience in a deeper way. Thanks, enjoy.
1: Less stress. More time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview.
0: All right, Martin. Um, Luca Pacioli, who, uh, who is he? <laughs> Why do we need to know him?
1: Well, he's most famous. Uh, he's a Venetian monk, and he taught Leonardo da Vinci linear perspective. That he's okay. famous for the last supper and all that came from Luca Pacioli, but he also did something of a little more import. He is the person who wrote down and first codified the rules of double entry bookkeeping, which were 200 years old at the time that he wrote it down, but he gets credit for being a popularizer. Yeah. And bookkeeping is one of those things like chlorine, right? Who thinks about chlorine? But without chlorine, there'd probably be 10,000 people alive on earth because we all would have died from uh, impure water, Mm -hmm. cholera and things. People don't necessarily realize it. Oh, I know they don't realize it, most people, because they don't keep books. But without books, we would all be in a really, really bad place, right? And so he's the guy who started it all. Yeah. Or popularized it. Well,
2: he's the one who was given credit for it. And I couldn't find anything earlier than him.
1: Well, no, he's, yeah, he's pretty well recognized the guy who wrote it down. But what I like to talk about is bookkeeping, it really was developed, double entry bookkeeping, which is the kind of bookkeeping we should all be using, was developed in the 1200s, which means that the first bookkeepers were posting to ledgers while their neighbors were dying of the bubonic plague.
2: Yep. Wow. That's
1: how and what's the crisp what's uh Marley? I always say Bob Marley, but not Bob Marley. Cratchit and how Christmas story. Yeah. You know, the the with the kid Sprite. with the crutch and the goose not Scrooge, that's it. Well, that's what the dad was doing with posting books for Marley. Yeah, I know. Right? So <laughs> yeah. anyway, there's a lot more to it than just being a pain in the rear and paying your taxes. You know, I well, have kindred spirit.
2: Yeah, most of us don't start our business to do our books. I mean, I didn't start mine to do books either, but without right. doing books, you're going to, you know, it, it's what will keep you in business if they're yeah. accurate.
1: Yeah. There you go. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't really and, have anything uh, else to say. We'll just let Ruth talk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yes. W- Ruth, welcome to the Cashflow contractor. I started with that question because you two are probably the only people related to this podcast in some respect that know who that is uh, or could even talk about him for five minutes. Yeah. Um, well, we but- could
2: probably talk about it for longer, but it's, you know, <laughs> it, it's really interesting because when I when I teach my classes and a lot of times when I do my presentations, I talk about the fact that it was 1,200, you know, somewhere between twelve and 1,300. We didn't have QuickBooks. We didn't have calculators. Yeah, the Chinese had abacuses, but it was a different pocket of the world. They had to make it easy. And so that convention has not changed for a thousand years. Well, you know, long time ago. Yeah. And my thing is that, you know, it's not that difficult to learn. Um, Contractors do so many different things that are so much more difficult. I mean, you think about plumbers who first time they look at a housing plan, they go, I don't know know how to do this, whatever else it is, but they learn it because they need it for their job. You look at an electrician and, and they're looking at a wiring diagram or an HVAC guy looking at a wiring diagram first time. They don't get it, but they learn it because it's part of their job. Well, guess what? First time you look at books, you don't get it.
1: And right. I promise
2: you, it's a lot easier than a wiring diagram.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I try to uh, absolve contractors themselves from doing the books, but they need to know what good books look like. They need to have them kept, and then they need to know how to use them. Yeah. That's their main job. I think we're probably on the same page as that.
2: Yeah. My um, my thing is that I don't want the contractors themselves doing the book. They should be doing things that produce revenue, um, but they have to be able, they can delegate the day-to-day bookkeeping. They can't abdicate the responsibility for looking at what gets produced and making great business decisions right. based on accurate financial data. That is timely. Minor you know, minor detail. You get January's books in July, it doesn't
1: any good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've said yeah. that before. A lot of most contractors that and I do say most because it's true, don't know if they made money last month, last quarter, or last year until they get a tax return. And after the extensions, they get them in September of the following year. And then they don't understand them because there's depreciation and accountants move things around to optimize taxes. So in essence, they, they never really know if they're making money.
2: Well, the other bad thing about it is a lot of them are doing their taxes on a cash basis, which is not really to tell you how you make money. You've got to be on an accrual basis. And for those of you who don't know the difference, cash basis accounting means you get a revenue when you physically get a check in the door. You have an expense when you physically write the check for the expense. And accrual-based accounting, you have... Um, receivables i.e when you do the work whether or not you got paid for it and when you get the bill in the door whether or not you write the check for it so you have receivables payables inventory you know things that we all have as contractors and it allows you to actually match revenues against expenses and without doing that you haven't a clue.
0: right well, I am uh, just thrilled to have both of you in the room because it's like <laughs> I, like Ruth yeah. I've never heard anybody else besides Martin use the word to abdicate in a sentence like maybe in yeah. like just conversational, not written down and yeah. uh, you did it right away. That's awesome. Also right. you've been in business for like longer than I've been alive and you have owned eight businesses. What tell us about your entrepreneurial journey, what you do today, but even how you got here.
2: Okay. So I started <laughs> actually my first business started when I was a kid. Oh, we were wow. selling flowers out of our our garden and stuff like that. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always wanted my own business. From you know, from time I was probably seven, or eight, or nine years old. So you know, we went through the whole thing at that point. But the first formal business is the one um, Business Ventures Corporation, which is my training and consulting, and where I really work on operations and the financial side of business. Um, so that started in 1981. So that's what 42 years old now. And then. Um, I had we started up a couple. One business failed as, as bad as you can possibly fail. Um, we bought equipment, and then two years later, the value of it, you know, it was now down for you know fifty thousand rather than a million. Yeah, and it's just lots of things learned from that particular lesson. Um, probably the hardest startup was one that we did that start that is still HVAC Channel TV today is. Um, nobody said that we could do anything on the internet we were probably the first one to train on the internet we my husband was the first one to put video on the internet through cell phones and that was 2001 and then we merged it everybody says you can't do it until we actually did it and then guess what happens you know it just goes wherever it goes then um so you know over the years there's been a whole lot of them um passion has always been to help businesses, give business owners the tools and processes to get and stay profitable and build wealth. I mean, that's what I do. And we have a company now called Financially Fit Business that is a software base. You, you put in your financials and it tells you what they're saying. That is nice. That is easy. Uh,
0: so you get into software. I like that.
2: Yeah. that was That's been an interesting thing. It's been crazy. And we launched it and I put launch in quotes in June, and with a bunch of guinea pigs, and we got all the bugs out of it, I think, and I'm sure there's going to be more. Um, but now it's you know ready for prime time, and we have you know data using it, and people using it, and everything else like that now, which is kind of fun.
0: And is that using any artificial intelligence?
2: Um, that's coming in January. Yeah, oh, cool. You're in the process of finalizing that piece of it to be able to. Um, actually look at the financial statements and tell you what they are without you having to put data in. Wow. In.
0: Whoa. Yeah. That'll be really cool. January. Right. Really, will be looking forward to that.
2: Yeah. That'll be January. It's
1: maybe starting a little bit at the beginning. Can, can you explain to listeners why books matter? <laughs> <laughs> than taxes.
2: Um, can I tell it as a story? Absolutely. Oh, All right. much preferred. So- so two contractors start their business partners together and they grow it to $2 million in revenue. Never look at the bucks. As long as they have cash in the bank and they can take discounts and pay their payroll and do what they want to do, thank you. So they hit about $2 million and the growth stopped. And probably within a couple of months, they started having problems of paying payroll, scrounging for it occasionally and not being able to take their discounts and going, know, yeah, wait a minute. You know, what's going on here? You know, we're, we we've never had this problem before, right? So they were smart enough to make a phone call to me. And I went in there and did the analysis and they were losing a nickel for every dollar they took in the door for 12 years. Never appeared until they stopped growing because the money that came in the door, finishing one project started the next. And as long as the number of projects were finishing and continuing to grow, you never saw the loss in cash. And as soon as it stopped and leveled out, you started seeing the cash declining and scrounging to pay payroll and stuff like that. And uh, so we you know, and they're gonna say, well, how can you lose a nickel for every job you take in the you know, dollar you take in the door? Well, they didn't pay attention to inventory, they didn't pay attention to productivity on the jobs. Um, their guys were getting paid for 40 hours and probably working 20. I mean but they didn't care because they had cash coming in the door and that's all they ever, ever looked at. Yeah. So that's the story. Um, one of many, yeah. but yeah. you know, most of the time I shouldn't say most of the time, some of the time my clients are, they don't know, they don't know anything until they get in trouble. Either the client doesn't pay them and they get in financial trouble or bookkeeper they find is embezzling from them. Um, that one's not fun. I promise
1: you that one's not fun. Yeah, got a got a chapter on that particular subject, and it <laughs> it happens for listeners. Yeah, on that subject, <laughs> it it uh, can't happen to me, right? Well, I don't know that the majority, but probably the majority have been embezzled from. And sometimes it's as small as just using the company credit card to fill up the truck, their truck. But a lot of times it winds up in tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they don't realize it until after a couple of years, just saying, you know, we just got all that money in and we don't have that much in the bank. So, you know, what's Something's weird? Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. What What's going on here? And yeah, I have not So that's one of the great benefits uh, is to be able to spot fraud in your business. And it's very likely that if you have two or more employees, there's something something going on there are a lot of great people in the world but that's just what i find when we start looking
2: yeah i mean the one of my former clients who has now sold his business um had a i know his i knew his numbers really really well i mean we knew his margins we knew his costs we knew everything every month and for you know one month the gross margin went down a little bit costs went up a little bit with respect to materials and one month who cares not about who cares, but you just kind of watch it because stuff happens at the end of the month or something like that and things like that. So I said, you know, let's see what happens next month. Sure enough, next month, material costs a little higher, margins are a little lower, and, you know, something's going on because we know the numbers. You know, we absolutely know the numbers. And so I said, you know, let's take a look at it. And so by the third month, I knew somebody was stealing from him. And he said, nobody can be stealing from me. I have cameras watching. <laughs> All right? Fourth month, same thing. And then I get an email. You were right. The only place they didn't have cameras in the warehouse literally were by the back door. So what they would do is they'd take line sets, put them by the back door, come back in at night, take them out. They had cut a hole in the chain link fence and put it back. A quarter of a million dollars in copper. Wow.
0: Wow. quarter of a million.
2: Now, so, yeah. Well, was the bookkeeper, they're in jail now. Which right. they need to be. Well, they're probably out of jail now, but they were. Right. That's a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Right. A lot of copper.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of copper.
0: <laughs> wow. So I, I know that I've got a lot of different questions here that I've pulled from different content that you've put, pulled out. So I'm probably referencing things that you've spoken about at length before, but I want to talk about re- revenue generation a little bit. And you have a a really good approach and philosophy around this. So like, what's a common misconception that you feel like businesses have around generating revenue and how can some entrepreneurs overcome that misconception, those misconceptions?
2: In our industry and construction, we generate revenue through billable hours, right? You do not have a billable hour. You don't have revenue. So everybody, you know, when I ask the questions in classes and stuff, how do you generate revenue, it's service, projects, you know, new construction, whatever else it is. And that's not how you generate, generate revenue. That is the result of revenue generation. So if you have a billable hour, that billable hour could generate service. It could generate new construction. It could generate replacement, maintenance, whatever. But it's the billable hour. So for every billable hour, you need to know how much drops to the bottom line. You need to know how much overhead, what overhead cost per hour you have to add, and what net profit per hour for each billable hour you want. And percentages don't matter, margins don't matter, and this is going to sound really crazy because it's a very different way of looking at the world. It is the way that you make profit, hmm. right? So, I mean, I can show you two guys who both had a quote-unquote 10% net profit, one of which who was earning $10 net profit per hour, the other who was earning 50, which would you rather be?
1: <laughs> right.
2: You know? Yeah. I was in a conversation with an $8 million contractor a couple of weeks ago, and we calculated his net profit per hour was 16 bucks an hour. I can go to a fast food restaurant and make 16 bucks an hour. Right. He was not a happy camper. He was shocked. Yeah. So you really and truly need to look at how we generate revenue, which is through billable hours. We're not like a restaurant who who generates revenue through a meal or a bar who rec, you know does it through a drink or a... My, you know, my gym who does it through our membership and stuff like that, we generate revenue. If there's no billable hours, there is no revenue. So Mm. if they're in a meeting, if they're walking around the shop, if they're going to get gas and they spend six hours, I'm exaggerating, you know, they spend an hour getting gas and checking out, they're going to supply house and checking out all the stuff that's not billable. It's just. Not billable, and so as a result of it, your net profit per hour goes down, because you know if you're going to pay your guys 40 hours a week, they need to be billable most of yeah. that 40 hours a week, minimum of 80 percent. Yeah. So, that, so I mean, that's how I look at the world.
0: So how so I like that approach. How do you when you're sitting down with a contractor for the first time and you're working through calculating that billable hour? How are you calculating it? And then what are the steps you take to then increase that billable hour?
2: Okay, so they're not tracking their hours. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, I was our, about to say. <laughs> yeah, not doing it. So what we do is, it, and we'll, we'll, depending on where they are in the year, like if we're towards the end of the year, um, we'll take this year's numbers and we'll take their overhead costs for the entire year, let's say through October, and then we'll look at their payroll data through October and we'll take all their field personnel and we'll take out um, vacations, we'll take out holidays, we'll take out, you know, they can estimate how many meetings they have and, and how many, you know, they went to training class or something like that. And that's our billable hours. And then our billable dollars are whatever their hourly rate is times their billable hours. Some of it might be overtime and stuff like that. So it's it's a spreadsheet. It's yeah. not hard to do, it's just a spreadsheet. And then we take it. some of them departmentalized. Some of them might have plumbing electrical HVAC generators, um, pool and spa. I mean, some of them have four or five departments. Some of them have two. And if they have one, we just do it for the company overall if they're starting out. And then we look at spreading it based on um, for departments based on, Space issues, and based everything else is people. So space issues are rent, utilities, um, building maintenance, re- building repairs. Um, up north, it's snow removal, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And and then the rest of it is is spread that way. And we figure out what each department's overhead cost per hour is, and then pricing is very simple. What net profit priority you want? What's your overhead cost per hour, add it to it? That's your gross profit per hour. How much does your highest guy make? You add that to it. And then if they're billable 100 percent of the time, ha, that's your hourly rate. But most of them not billable. If they're billable 50% of the time, you have to double that. Yeah. To get your hourly rate. And that's how you do it. It's not art, it's just a very different way of thinking. Yeah. And that has not been taught. I mean, in the old days, and I'm guilty of this too, in the 80s. I taught divide by one minus the gross margin for pricing. I try to get everybody off of markup because that was on cost. But I did the same thing until I had, until about 2002, 2003, four, somewhere around there. And I was working with a group of contractors, all of which who had the same gross margin. Some were doing well and some weren't. And the thing, you know, light bulb, when he, you know, duh, goes on and it's like, okay, oh, really? we haven't considered overhead in this. Some were more efficient than others. Yeah. So I, Trained them first, and it took me almost two years for all of them to get it, which surprised me because they were paying me, and I still got resistance. <laughs> <laughs> but they won't go back. And you know, everybody who does my pricing class online, I get emails from. Thank you. I'm finally making money. I'm finally knowing what I need to do. Um, and, and knowing this actually gives you choices. And I can give you another example of this. Yeah. Um, one of my clients does plumbing and HVAC, commercial only. Yeah, you know, new construction, replacement, service, maintenance. And their two new construction crews finished a job in October-ish. Didn't have anything major on the books until spring. So, what do you do with them? You can't lay them off. They're great crews. They'll have a job in two seconds. If you carry them all winter long, then guess what happens to the profitability of that department? It's in, yeah, you know, toilet. So this public works job came up, started end of November, beginning of December, and ended in the spring. We had to get that job. So we knew overhead cost per hour. We knew how many hours are on the job. We knew the material costs. We knew the equipment costs. And we knew the, the labor costs. What we didn't know was net profit per hour for that job. So we went back and forth about it. And we decided that since we only had a break even on this job to keep them busy and a you know, little little bit of profit... Um, We bid it at $5 net profit per hour. In my book, that's break event, right? Because you never know if you went over by one hour, guess what, job lost. So I do it at $5 and I consider that break. Even when we job costed the job, it came in at $6 net profit per hour. So you know how low you can go this methodology. It's not a percentage or anything along those lines, which is a guess. You know, we can't take a percentage to the bank. Percentages are guesses. They really and truly are. And you just don't know it. Um, that's, you know, that's how I price. Hmm.
1: What do you, what do you do on bid jobs? Um, I mean on. HVAC and guys like that, you know, are billing by the hour, uh, bid jobs, um, some of them, insulation concrete.
2: Yeah. Some of them we will pay them by the job so that we can fix labor cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still need to know. It doesn't matter what business you're in; you can still do this.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of really like pay for performance. Um, did we had Mike Andy's on? He wrote a book called Pay for Performance, which is a you know that kind of model of uh, by the job essentially, mm-hmm. um, and having bonus structures built into that. If you finish in a certain amount of time, you get more money, things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so
0: that that's you have we- a pricing course, Ruth, that people can take. Yeah, okay, it's and online. that's on, on your website. We'll link to that in the show yeah. notes. Excellent. Love it. Yeah. And it,
2: it, it, it's funny because um, a couple of years ago, the the bridge, which is on 85 in Atlanta, um, mm. basically collapsed. Before it, a fire collapsed the bridge and we didn't need to go into there. Hmm. But they were paid. All right. If you finish the job in this period of time, it's going to be X because they wanted that bridge back up. It took me three hours to get to the airport because we had to go around and all the traffic. I mean, it was the major artery into downtown Atlanta. And so they all got it done in a, incredible record time, and they all made a killing on this job because the bonuses were there for getting the job done on time or early. They weren't not going to do it. I mean, they were significant, and the re, you know they made a lot of money doing. Oh yeah, it. but they had it's to get crazy. it out. Yeah, they couldn't. You know, it was impossible. traffic in Atlanta was impossible for a couple of months. Really Sometimes
0: was. I question how how. uh, how our infrastructure is handled sometimes because it's like they're getting paid hourly or something, and they just really milk it. Because some yeah. of these projects are going on for way too long, and then you yeah. watch videos of people overseas, and it's like they do it overnight, uh, just working nonstop, and a thousand people trying to put a road in. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. So, I want to talk. You know, we are the cash flow contractor, and uh, you talk about cash flow quite a bit as well. I want about I want to talk about those who are in a cash flow crunch, those who are struggling with cash flow. What are some signs that they're headed for that?
2: All right. This is going to sound crazy, but number one, their current ratios are going down. All right. What does that mean? (laughs) That means current assets, which are cash or things that are turned into cash within a year, divided by current liabilities, which are things that have to be paid within a year, is, is decreasing. And you can see whether you're headed for a cash flow crunch without being in it. Just by watching your cart ratio go down month to month to month. And that should be warning bells going off in your head. If you are already in a cash flow crunch, then what you really and truly have to decide to do, number one, you have to make sure everybody is productive. If you're paying them 40 for 40 hours, they have to be billing 40 hours. I.e., you know, as we talked about, the way that we get generate revenue in our industry is by billable hours, so their billable hours have to be up, their pricing has to be correct, because a lot of times they get in cash flow crunches because their pricing's not correct, um, and you don't see it until you stop generating revenue, um, or a lot of revenue. They don't have maintenance plans, um, and I don't care what construction, in, part of the construction and you can have a maintenance plan. There's lots of different things that you can do depending upon what you're doing. Um, there's a, a company who has, um, they do a lot of installation of chandeliers in a lot of really um, upscale houses and you know buildings and stuff like that. So guess what their maintenance is? Hmm. Cleaning? I don't know. Yeah, chandelier oh, cleaning. Wow.
0: Chandelier cleaning.
2: One chandelier of those phone things
0: phone. that I hope I'm never paying for.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Gosh. You just live with the dust, huh? <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> I don't
2: would I want, so, with, with all want those chandeliers. Themselves. Yeah. so i mean those are the things that you have to watch out for that can keep you from the cash flow crunch um and it really is make sure your pricing's right make sure your your um part, you know your billable hours are are there and then you may want to do a special to get people to pay you like crd or something like that that make sure it's profitable um to be able to do that yeah so that's what i would do
0: Hey guys, quick break from the show. I just wanted to mention, please, please go and subscribe to us and follow our show. We'd really appreciate the support. We've got a YouTube channel that you can subscribe to. We've got an Instagram account you can follow, a Twitter account you can follow, a LinkedIn account that you can follow. And we have a newsletter where we send you our episodes and even resources directly to your inbox. We'd love to have you in there. Just go to the show notes. You can find links to all those things below. Back to the episode.
1: You talked about timely and accurate books, uh, which of course is a major problem. And one of the things I see, not bearing in mind that a lot of our guys are actually not their new construction, but maybe not the building there. They've got a commercial electric warehouse. They're doing electric wiring and so on. But two things that I find people really have problems with, even if they intend to do well, is tracking inventory Mm -hmm. and then managing things like deposits. So I'll have guys. Um, I call it roller coaster profits. I see it all the time. One month you're up a hundred thousand net profit. And the next month you're down five thousand net profit. Then you're up seventy two thousand. Then you're down a hundred thousand. Then you're up two hundred thousand. And they go, "I'm done looking at my books because this is insane." And a lot of the problem there is that people buy materials and they expense it the day they get it, uh, and it's not really an expense because they haven't done any work and they haven't. They don't have anything to bill. Um, and then they also get a deposit 50% down. I got to order all the materials. They put that in revenue and it's not revenue yet. Yep. So it's one of the, even people who get it, it's one of the enduring problems is how to manage that. Even if they're using good bookkeepers, bookkeepers and I love accountants, but most accountants I wind up dealing with are concerned with taxes. And all they care is at the end of the year, the all the pluses are at the top, and the minuses are after that. And we get a number. Yeah. Those are totally useless for management purposes. And so, how do you see guys handle inventory? I'll I'll tell a story real quickly. Uh, working with an electrical contractor who's about a five million dollar guy, I went up interviewed. We were talking. He just hired me. I'm at his shop. Never been there before. I said, Do you have any inventory? He goes, No. said, okay. And we went on. I said, well, let's go look at the shop. You know, open the door into the shop. It's 8,000 square feet of floor to ceiling, pallet racks full of stuff. And I said, well, what's this? Oh, that's stuff. (laughs) You know, we (laughs) bought it. We always buy some extra and we buy these GFCIs and I got a few cases. Don't know where they are. So when we need them again, we go buy some more and had him count all that. It was about $200,000 worth of inventory. Yeah. So the reason I'm telling the story is that even if he had been trying, which they were making a feeble attempt, and kept books and said, yeah, I keep books. They, they're completely incorrect. (laughs) And I don't know if they're incorrect because he overstated expenses. So he made more money than he thought or incorrect because he received deposits and put them in his sales. And that was not really his money. So overstated, you know, one understates, one overstates, and then you have all kinds of combinations. So how have you, helped people manage inventory and deposit combinations so how have you helped people
2: all right so first of all under current liabilities there is a deposits under current liabilities if you get a deposit on a job that's where it goes it does not go into revenue all right does it can go into your um operating checking account i prefer you put it in a savings account but that's neither here nor there now um, and I, and I do a thing that I explain to them, it's called financial statement fruit salad. And so financial statement fruit salad is you have revenue in one month and the expenses for that revenue in another month. So when you put, you know, if January is your apple month and February, and you've got your revenue in there and February is your peach month, cause I'm in Georgia, um, <laughs> you will, you know, you put them together. You have fruit salad when you're trying to job cost. I make them job cost. Right. so we need to know our overhead cost per hour. We know what the net profit per hour is on all the jobs by the time we get done. And most of that, unfortunately, a lot of the smaller ones, you're right, they don't, quote unquote, have inventory. And then I explained to them, um, if you ever want to sell your business, your profits are less than they are by the amount of inventory you have. And now, is somebody buying your business gonna tell you that? No, they're just gonna pay you less. Right. So I also suggest, and, and in the beginning, this is cringed, but barcoding. In electrical, it's harder because you have all the little parts and pieces. You almost have to let you almost have to do it by um box. You know, yeah. wire nuts. Or like you don't count the wire nuts because it costs more to count the wire nuts in there. But if you've got a box of wire nuts, you inventory that or you put it in right. consumables or something along those lines. But um I I hate to say it, force. But I, you know, most of the time they kind of get it when you hit to be a million or $2 million, and you have people in there that you have to track what they're doing and they kind of get it. Sometimes it takes getting stolen from before they do it. Um, I had one service technician fund his entire business from the inventory of of his, his boss. And the only way we found out about it is his boss went to his house one day and saw his garage. Oh Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so that kind of stuff happens all the time. And and once you're doing that, and once you don't have what I call a warehouse supermarket, which Mm -hmm. is everybody has the run of the warehouse. There is somebody who is responsible for inventory in the warehouse, getting it set up properly, getting it managed properly, ordering properly. You have to use POs. I mean, you have to have a real business. Right. And
1: at a million dollars in revenues, I found that that's a real struggle for people because the owner's not going to do it and he or she has five electricians and they're not going to do it. They have to hit some critical um, level of revenue with margins and profit to be able to do this. And one, one thing I just talked about is a method of doing it, we're kind of in the weeds here. I don't know if people are going to run out and do this (laughs) because we're talking about it here, but you can count your inventory at the end of the month and your bookkeeper can make an adjustment. So you expense it all, but you go count it. And we don't have to know how to make that adjustment. It's not hard, somebody can do it. And you say, oh, what you said, I'm not gonna count all the wire nuts. I go, no, do it by box it, do it by fixtures. But here's what else will happen, is once you count it every month, you start to organize it. Once you start to organize it, you don't have to count, you've got nine boxes and it's just whether or not you have 10 or 11, it gets easy to count. You can do it in two hours. Right. Yeah. And once it's organized, you know where. Yes, you know where it is. So when the guys come to buy a thousand dollars worth of GFCIs, they know where to go get them instead of going to the warehouse or going to the supplier and tying up another grant. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's one way. Then the difficulty on deposits. You're right. uh, Putting it in a liability account. Somebody has to have some talent to take it back out when you invoice. That's the bookkeeper's job. Right. Uh, I can just show you hundreds of bookkeepers who don't know how to do that. But
2: <laughs> They haven't passed I, my test. I wouldn't have them as a bookkeeper.
1: Well, that... <laughs> I have a I bookkeeper
2: mean, test. You oh, know, you press- have an
0: actual test that people can take yeah. and they have oh, to pass Oh, that's excellent. It. Yeah, okay. it
2: was actually done by the American Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. And they give a test to anybody. And if you can't pass that test, you do not hire that person.
0: Sorry. where can people find this test
2: um yeah. i've got it if you go to aicba i think it is it's also there um it's free use it and yes they do have the answers too
1: <laughs> oh no that's excellent because yeah. I, yeah, just, I find it, it just gets to be a mess a lot of times and then there's also work in process you know partial yeah, billing go there well, if you're doing bonded jobs, you yes. have to do have that,
2: work process, yeah.
1: but most people who, uh, get big enough to do bonded jobs have reached a point where they matter of fact, a- that's one of your bonding company is your friend because they make you do a bunch of stuff you don't want to do, but their interest is that you not go broke Definitely. and it's your interest not to go broke. So do what they say, but okay. those complicated things can really distort your financial statements. Yeah, And we, we need and somebody have, else to do it.
2: Yeah, and I also have a bookkeeping course, online bookkeeping course that they can take. I mean, so many wives do the books, and I've seen so many divorces because wives are doing the books over right. the years. Um, yeah, it's 18 segments, and just do it. Well, I wanna go
0: back, you, you had mentioned tracking your ratios to see if you're heading towards a crisis in cash flow, but I, I wanna talk about some of the immediate steps. You see that ratio, what are the things that you can do when you feel like you're going into cash flow challenges?
2: Number one, look at your profitability of your jobs, job cost jobs, make sure that the guys are productive, they're billing, and and they're profitably billing hours. Generally, decreasing current ratio means decreasing profitability, and decreasing profitability means imminent cash flow problem, All right? right? That's generally what it is. So that's the first thing I would do is I would say, okay, let's make sure our job cost is coming out where we want. Are we getting the net profit per hour we want? If our net profit per hour is negative or, you know, less than what you can make at a fast food restaurant, what's going on?
1: Are yeah. the guys,
2: are we bidding the job for, you know, a thousand hours and it's taking 1200? Are we bidding it for 40 and it's taking 60? I mean, where are we? What's going on? You have to find decreasing current ratio should be the greatest warning sign to you that there is a problem with productivity. There's a problem with profitability. Figure it out or get help. One of the two. Yeah
1: yeah yeah I think when you get into the uh uh current ratio, I don't believe I've ever met a small business owner who knows what that is ever
2: and, uh, now, i've worked, might- i've
1: worked with no th- yeah they <laughs> they have to understand that uh and get there eventually, but it is not yeah once common. they've worked with someone but like just on their own, just like uh, yeah i'm never. Uh, or they've read
2: my books, or they've been through my classes. Um, they get yeah. it.
1: That, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the point. People have to get that. Yeah. And that the I mean, guy driving around listening to us right now I'll be going, "What? You know, another <laughs> thing I got to do? Well, again, your bookkeeper has to do it. You just have to know what that is. Don't necessarily even know how it's created um, off the balance sheet, but you need to know what that is. And like you just said, okay, my D, my current ratio is getting worse. That's a warning sign. And you don't even need to know all the particulars behind how it was created. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean,
2: all I got to do is put their financial statements into financially fit business. Press a button.
0: That's it. We really need to check that out, Martin. (laughs)
2: Yeah,
0: Financially fit business. We'll put that in the show notes for anybody that wants to check that out. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Obviously put your financial statements in there, but like, what's the goal of it? How should somebody be using that on a quarterly basis, monthly basis.
2: No, you do it every month. It's every month. Uh, okay. Financially fit dot business. So I did it as a dot business. Um, it literally it will do 14 ratios for you. It will do your your PL ratios for you, your gross margin ratios, your net profit per hour ratios. It will do current ratios and it graphs everything for you. So you can see the trends. I mean, you want to see numbers? They're there. But quite frankly, mm-hmm. I don't get a whole lot of numbers. I want to look at the graphs. I want to see whether they're going up or going down. And then there's, you know, help if you if your graphs aren't going the right way. Guess what? You know, here's places to look. This is what mm-hmm. the graph should look like. And if they're not looking like that, then here's places that you look. And it literally is five minutes a month. Dump the numbers in. Your bookkeeper prepares them. You dump them in. Um, it's you know after January, the AI will dump them in. <laughs> you know, you right. them in and you find out whether they're right or wrong. Yeah, Right now, you still have to enter all.
0: So, But what if your financial statements are wrong? How can you tell if your financial statements are incorrect?
2: Uh, the AI will tell you whether they are or not.
0: Sure, sure. But before mm-hmm. you've used financially fit business, what, what, what are some ways that, what, like the red flags that are an indication that you have errors or inaccuracies right. in your financial statements?
2: The big errors, negative cash, negative payroll taxes, mm-hmm. negative loan payments. Um, those are the three biggies. I mean, if you negative receivables. Oh my gosh. There's so many.
1: I, I was going to add that. Uh, that's one of the first things I do with a new client who says they have books. I just look to see if they have a balance sheet uh, and there'll be a lot of negative numbers in there at that, which is possible, but probably not. And you then I have, go to accounts yeah. receivable and listing of uh, accounts receivable and they look, never fail. Say, so well, that's not right. Bill paid me. And then there are a whole bunch of numbers and I negative numbers i said so they pay you twice no well why is that number negative it's this is supposed to be what people owe you it shows a negative number which implies you owe them what's going on i don't know and i do every time every time you have to go figure that out and if that's wrong everything everything else is incorrect yeah your profit loss your balance sheet your cash flow every, statement, everything
2: there are so many software packages out there right now who do contractors a disservice because they don't recognize deposits so mm. you sell a job you get a down payment on the job the software automatically recognizes it as a as negative receivable because there is no invoice against it right. and i have been screaming bloody blue murder to a couple of them it's like fix this put you know deposits on it. So you can ask the question, is this a deposit or is this, you know, truly, and it's not negative. So, but that's, that's a major issue too.
1: Well, the other, that you're bringing up a really good point because people use so many softwares. I won't name them all clearly. You can probably name 20 to kind of run their operations, take pictures, store pictures. Oh, I can invoice right out of my app. And I said, so your financials are on this, uh, what, what do we want to call that this, uh, operation software. Say so, yes. I said. So, what are your liabilities? What What do you owe? Well, I don't know. That's not in here. No, so that's right. What equipment do you own? You know, what inventory do you have? What do you have on long term debt for your property? The people who use clearly. I, well, I I just won't use well, any. We're names,
2: naming but, names. Pardon. <laughs> we're not naming. Yeah. Names.
1: Don't want to name any names, but I've never. Seen, now, there are some that link to. QuickBooks. QuickBooks. And some people think there are 29 million QuickBooks users. I have companies up to 250 million in sales. They no longer use QuickBooks, although they could. They could. Um, But for people up to 10, 15 million dollars, you can do QuickBooks. Uh, And at least you have books, right, before you get off into ER, you know, ERPs and all that. But running it off of the software that the guys have and billing out his software is not keeping books and it will not give you the information that you need to run your business.
2: Yeah. You can do QuickBooks, you can do Sage. I mean, there's so many you can do. If you get big enough, you can do Dynamics. Yeah. Well, the
1: thing I really like about QuickBooks for most of my clients, which I would guess probably average 5 million in sales, is there are 29 million users or at least 40 million people who know how to use it. I mean, you can hire people, uh, bookkeepers know how to use it. Most accountants, if you're online, you can just send it to them and you don't know, have to create a bunch of stuff. They can, uh, anyway, it's
2: just, yeah, I don't, common I don't really disposable. know any
0: alternatives or I, I mean, I know them, but I don't know any recommended alternatives. What are recommended alternatives to QuickBooks sage, that you have?
2: Sage 50, Sage 100. The thing I like about Sage is you can grow. Because they go 50, 100, 300, Mass 90, and I forget what the highest one is of Sage. And you can grow into that as big as you want with Sage. Okay. Interesting. And it's true accounting. They cl- the books close.
1: Okay. Sage. i yeah. never heard In of In other that words, before. you can't go back and change uh, last year's entries.
2: If I wanted to steal from you and you're on QuickBooks, yeah. it'll take me two seconds.
1: Yeah. They, wow. You can go back there and lock it out with password protection, but nobody does that.
2: Yeah, I, mean, you I didn't, didn't start doing that until I started bitching about it. Yeah, excuse me for saying it that way, but you know when my book, "The Ugly Truth About Cash," came out and how people steal, ninety percent of it was QuickBooks stuff because you didn't put in that password. And at that point, you couldn't put in the password. Now you can. Yeah, and I'm my clients do it.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, and Martin, that's how you. That's how you got embezzled, right? Yeah, I had a lady, uh, our listeners know about it, but I had a, my trusted bookkeeper, we were finding all kinds of fraud in a company. They brought me in to be CEO of, she was sitting right at my side, outraged at finding all these personal expenses on credit cards and so on. She took more than anybody else. She took $340,000. And uh, when we sold the company, I was trying to do the reconciliation of, you know, you sell a company and there's a tipping day and yeah. Say, well, we'll have this by that day and that by this day, and I couldn't get it. And I, but I had seen all kinds of warning signs. Like mentally, you know, what cash should be available, and it just wasn't. So many times, and I'd call her up, and she'd go, "Oh, I'll get that." You know, well, yeah, she got it all right. She was taking got
2: it. it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy.
0: Well, um, man. Yeah, kindred spirits, like I said, I think this is a really important topic. What I mean, what I would like to cover here is there's so many people that are probably not going and getting books after listening to an episode like this. So what is our sales pitch collectively here about why they need to do it and get out of their head about not doing it.
2: Well, it's actually easier to do than than all the technical stuff you learned. Period. It's okay. just, we weren't trained in it. We weren't taught it. We didn't take it in school. Most you know, most contractors didn't do well in school. Um, and quite frankly, until a lot of you, until you get in trouble, you're not gonna do it. I've mm-hmm. already, I already know that. And once you get in trouble is when the light bulb goes on and goes, oh crap, I don't wanna do this again. Well, guess what? You gotta learn your financials. The smart ones will do it before they get in trouble.
1: Right. But
2: you know, the, I, that's-
1: grants. I add two things. I agree a hundred percent, but I would add two things. And one of them is this, I've been in business for 50 years now, probably next, next month. And I have never seen, ever seen a business thrive without accurate books ever. You can, you can go along and you can manage by cash and you can be a tightwad and you can be the guy that never spends any money But I have never seen it. So I'm going to say it is not possible to truly thrive without books. Boom. I agree. The second second reason that they're foundational. They're absolutely foundational. (laughs) Anyway, the second thing is most of the people I talk to do not understand why or how they can use books to make decisions. It's not about, they think they have to have them to pay taxes, which you do, or or they can put them together off your bank statements if you're that small. But once you realize how useful they can be for making decisions about the future, if your margins aren't there, if you're bidding for sales and not margin, you're quite often, not just through mistakes, but you are bidding, it's not possible to make a profit. Let's just make it real simple. Mm -hmm. You're not the sale isn't it. It's the margins. And it's what's it the take net to break even? Net, net operating profit. And just as your first example, if you're going along and the cash is coming in in deposits, you don't notice it until that stops. And that's why I think we talked about it on one of our episodes, a contractor death spiral where yeah. you need the deposit from the next job to pay for the, to finish the last one. And, <laughs> and people, uh, That really gets people attention because they're thinking, well, that really sounds a lot like me, right? (laughs) And so once you understand how you can use them to make decisions and do what you must, it's not a case of, I need to raise my prices. I'd like to, it's, you will die. If you do not change your prices, that is a fact. It's an objective fact. So what are you going to do if you don't have that as a fact? then you're just gonna keep on pricing to get the job and get the cash coming in and, you know, every now and then see a big bank balance and then inexplicably a couple of weeks later, a negative bank balance.
2: Yeah, I know, it's just crazy. What (laughs)
1: happened? Oh, I paid our payroll taxes, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think those those are the, we agree on that. Those are the reasons people don't do it. Yeah. Well, um,
0: lovely to talk to you both uh love the energy love the the focus on on books uh lots of things that ruth has to offer for our listeners uh you've got your own podcast you've got uh your i'm just gonna let you pitch all of it i'm i'm gonna try to i would try to recap it but you've mentioned a lot here i'll fill any gaps that you don't mention so go ahead let's hear
2: it well first of all i get to turn the tables and have you as my guests
0: oh that's gonna be fun
2: yeah it's gonna be a blast (laughs) Um, so there's two places that you can go if you want to find things. Number one, financiallyfit.business has, you know, understanding what all the P&Ls and the balance sheets are. And then you can go to ruthking.info, which also has everything. It's kind of like my portal that has everything they do in it. So that's probably the two easiest places to go. Um, you know, all my books are there. All the classes are there. You know, it's just, you know, click on what you want. Okay. And all the channels are there. Excellent. So we'll get
1: those in the show notes,
0: right, Khalil? We will. And I want to make sure that we also talk about the uh, bookkeeping test through the American, A-I- American BIA.
2: And, you, and you can, if they want to email me, it's rking at on the That's fine. They can email me. I'm happy to send that to them. I mean, it's free of charge. It, it will save you so much time took a bookkeepers who say they know what they do are doing in there. Don't know.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then, um, the other one was the training that you, the trainings, multiple trainings that you offer, but specifically the bookkeeping one for bookkeepers is yeah. one that you offer.
2: It's all on those two websites. So you can Excellent.
0: All right. Well, we've got those in the show notes, Ruth. It's been a pleasure having you on, um,
1: yeah, thank you. All Ruth. Very important. Oh, my things pleasure.
2: New, We're kind What more do we want? Yeah.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Yes. Be on a mission.
2: You yeah. got it. You and me okay. both. We're all three of us. So, anyway, appreciate your time. I hope I helped your audience.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank Ruth. you. All right, cash flow contractors. We hope that you enjoyed this episode with Ruth King. Go check out her website, her podcast, all of her resources. We've got those in the show notes for you. Also, please subscribe. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Follow us on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter. And join our newsletter. We want you to be a part of our audience. If you've got any feedback for us, you know, show that you want to have us, you know, someone that you want us to interview on the show, a uh, topic that you want Martin and I to discuss. If you've got questions or, you know, having a challenge in your business, we'd love to, d- to talk about things that matter to you. Send us an email. Both Martin and my emails are in the show notes for you. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We hope that you find less stress, more time, and more money. Thanks.
1: Thanks for listening to The Cash Flow Contractor.
0: Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.